Why pay more for a separate CoQ10 supplement? Enjoy twice the benefits with Superbeats Heart Choose Advanced from the number one doctor, pharmacist, and cardiologist recommended beet brand for heart health support. The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced by Human is now infused with CoQ10. That's essentially like getting CoQ10 for free. Our powerful blend of beetroot, grapeseed extract, and CoQ10 ingredients support nitric oxide production, healthy blood pressure, healthy CoQ10 levels, and heart-healthy energy with two tasty chews a day. Plus, Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced are plant-based, so you get heart-healthy energy without stimulants. For a limited time, get a free 30-day supply of Super Beats Heart Chews on all bundles and 15% off your first order by going to RadioBeats.com and using promo code DEAL. That's RadioBeats.com, code DEAL. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Hello, and welcome to the From the Shadows podcast. I am the producer, Jason Lewis. I would like to thank you for tuning in to the From the Shadows podcast. And without further ado, here is your host, Shane Grove. Welcome, everybody. This is Shane Grove, the host of From the Shadows podcast, and I'm here with Jason, the producer. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Hey, Jason. Um... I think you are in agreement with me that this episode that we are uh, introducing here is probably one of our favorites so far, wouldn't you say? Oh yeah, I would. This is uh, the first collaboration we've done like this, and uh, we couldn't have done it with a better person than Kate. So, yeah, Kate. So, so to give a little backstory, um, we've become friends with Kate the host of the award-winning podcast, Ignorance Was Bliss. Uh, And so we kind of did a cool little cross-promotion slash hybrid episode with her where we took our very North Central House very own Mark Corey. Um, He's a local historian, um, former English teacher, at uh, at a local high school, and basically an expert on the Salem witch trials and Colonel William Crawford, which um, to our North Central Ohio listeners, Colonel Crawford will have a familiar ring to it. It's the school that Mark actually taught at, and he, Miss, you know, Colonel Crawford himself was a. Uh, very important figure in the early stages of the of the United States of America, as far as our country being founded, and then suffered a cruel, cruel uh, twist of fate. You, you might say when he came out of retirement. Um, so, 
so what we so what we want to do is is that Kate is based out of Salem, Massachusetts, where of course it was the genesis for the the Salem witch trials. So we recorded what basically is a double episode. But to hear the episode of the Salem witch trials when you're done listening to our episode, which which features Mr. Corey speaking about Colonel William Crawford, you can go into the show description and there will be a link to Kate's podcast, which is going to be released the same day today. That will take you then you can listen to, to Mr. Corey uh, on her podcast to talk about the Salem witch trials. Jason, you got, a, you got something you want to add? Yeah, I was just going to say that, um, actually, you covered what I was going to say. But um, I did want to mention about Colonel William Crawford. That's also the same Colonel William Crawford that Crawford County, the city of Bucyrus, was named after. I mean, we're talking, um, we're talking a major figure here. We're talking about somebody who is just as important in history as George Washington himself. Yeah, yeah, because here here's the thing about Colonel Crawford is the people that listen to this podcast that are from our area that know us, um, they're going to understand one aspect of Colonel Crawford's life as far as being integral for the being the county being named after him, the local high school, um, the monuments that are placed around the county, uh, you know, marking a couple infamous spots for his life but then on a grander scale the people that are listening to our podcast from basically all over the world they're going to really recognize some of the other things that Colonel Crawford uh, did or was a part of when it can, when it comes down to history so um, it's it was a real eye-opener for us and and I will say the most amazing thing when we walked out of these um, I mean, we were in there for at least an hour and a half, almost two hours, listening to Mr. Corey. And the man did not have a single note. Nothing was written down. So as you listen to our podcast and Kate's podcast, every single date, name, place, um, little anecdote, straight off Mr. Corey's head. So... I, I left. Um, I left that day that we recorded these podcasts, thinking Mark Corey is the bomb when it comes to history. <laughs> there's no, there's no, uh, there's no two ways about it. So, oh yeah, he knows his material. That's for he sure. Knows his stuff. I was, I was impressed. He is he, quite a historian. Yes, and and anybody that um, um, anybody that gets the chance, I think to. You know, especially in our area, to to maybe take five minutes and talk to them, um, I would urge you. You know, because I don't think there's probably anything that the man does not know when it pertains to history, especially uh, in our area. So, and I do think that the the people are going to be fascinated by the discussion about the Salem witch trials that takes place on um, Kate's podcast. And mainly because Mr. Corey, his relative, Giles Corey, was the last person put to death in the Salem Witch trial hysteria. 
So, uh, so yeah, please, when you're done listening to our podcast about Colonel William Crawford, go check out Kate's podcast, Ignorance Was Bliss, and uh, get the rest of what Mr. Corey uh, has to say about uh, American history. You so, will not be disappointed. You will be no. entertained, and you will be enlightened. <laughs> well, maybe scared to death, more so than enlightened. But either way, it's fun. It's a fun thing to have happen. So, so, uh, so check out our episode and then, you know, go find Kate's, uh, Kate's episode with Mr. Corey on ignorance is bliss. And if you can't find it, uh, Jason's going to put a, a link in the show description. Um, and you should, should take you right there to it. So we're looking forward to hearing what everybody has to say about these, these two, uh, these two podcasts because it sure was fun and thanks to Kate for joining us because Kate is, is super entertaining, super smart and is a, you know, it's, it's one of the perks of doing, doing this is we get to meet some really cool people. She Um, was a blast. She was a blast. Yep. So, so we won't take up any more of your time. We'll get you to the episode. Got one more thing to say though. I think that you will be enlightened on this. I think you're going to enjoy it, and um, you're going to learn something about where you're at. If you're local here in the northeastern Ohio or western Ohio or central Ohio where we're at, you're going to learn something. You're going to enjoy it. So uh, tune in, uh, sit back, and enjoy, and make sure you pop over to Kate's podcast like uh, your host Shane said, uh, there will be a link in the description below. So uh, just enjoy them. And afterwards, head to After the Shadows and uh, discuss it a little bit. Or if you got any questions or anything like that, it's a perfect place to bring it up. We respond. We look forward to hearing from you. Yes, we do. So with that, on with the podcast. All righty. Let's go. This is Shane Grow, host of From the Shadows podcast, and uh, the, joining us this morning are some members of the crew, the judge. Good morning. Jason, the producer. Yes, sir. Jerry, our uh, lead investigator and photographer today. Hey there, everyone. Uh, we're, we're joined in studio by local historian, uh, Mark Corey. Good morning. And we have a very special guest on the line. From the award-winning podcast, Ignorance Was Bliss, Kate. Kate, how are you doing this morning? I'm well, thank you. How are you guys? Good. Okay. Good. We're glad you could join us. We're going to... Um, um, and so we... For your listeners that are going to come to to check you out on our podcast and our listeners that we're going to send to your podcast, um, we've already uh, spent... A good while talking about uh, the Salem witch hysteria from the 1600s, and now we're going to talk about a little history from our corner of the world in North Central Ohio, uh, and that's why we have our expert historian here, Mark Corey, uh, about one Mister Colonel Crawford. Uh, so, Mark, would you um, give a little history on who Colonel Crawford was and um, what his accomplishments, and and then we'll lead to his uh, demise. And uh, just go on, go on with the story. Colonel William Crawford was born in Virginia 
in uh, 1732. I was born right down the road from where George Washington was born, and they became close friends in childhood. And when they hit early adolescence, they both surveyed and speculated land for the Virginia Land Company prior to the outbreak of the Seven Years' War, which textbooks call the French Indian War. And once that war broke out, Washington became the commander of the 9th Virginia Militia, and Captain William Crawford was the second in command of that same militia. They served on the campaign of Braddock when he attempted to destroy the French fort of Duquesne uh, when a small group of French trappers and Native Americans ambushed this large British column of nearly uh, 1,200 troops and nearly wiped them out, and it would not have been for the Virginia militia being there, uh, no one would have survived the ambush. Uh, it was during this retreat that Colonel Washington promoted Captain Crawford to the rank of colonel because of bravery that he exhibited under fire. And most of the British officers were killed during the ambush, and most of the Virginia militia survived the ambush, primarily because militia, being familiar with Indian-style warfare, were able to survive fighting Native Americans using Native American tactics, while the European tradition was to march in the open field in beautiful red coats and were not allowed to fire unless being given orders to fire once they formed into ranks out in the middle of the woods to be easily picked off by the Native Americans. So essentially they, they did not have any skirmishers. Right. And it was right then and there that Washington and Crawford knew we could... <laughs> well, when, when the revolution. <laughs> well, they actually learned quite a bit, as did a lot of colonials, from what they saw the British unsuccessful in attempting to and do. Was Braddock also killed during that? Yeah, Braddock was one of the first, and he died during the retreat. And uh, run away, he died. Yeah. Wow. One of the one of the drivers of the wagons in that uh, expeditionary force of Braddock was Daniel Boone. The supply wagons that included ten cannons were part of a 10-mile-long wagon train with everything, the wagons and the cannons, in the back of the command. And interesting, Braddock actually got a loan from Dr. Ben Franklin of Philadelphia to be able to purchase those wagons to be used in the expedition. And obviously, since all those wagons were left behind, Franklin's out the money. Uh, but post-Seven Years' War, uh, Washington and Crawford go back to serving as speculators for the Virginia Land Company. They speculated land as far north of Columbus area, Columbus, Ohio area. And at the outbreak of the War of Independence, Washington promoted himself to get the head job, which he successfully gained as commander of the Continental Army. And Crawford still remained in the 9th Virginia at the rank of colonel. Crawford and Washington served together by crossing the Delaware River on Christmas uh, Day night in 1776 en route to our victory against the German Jaegers or Hessians at Trenton, New Jersey. Uh, Crawford served with Washington at the Valley Forge encampment in 1777 and 78. And in 1779, Crawford retired from military duty. He retired to his home and his farm along the Yuccagany River in southwestern Pennsylvania, where his wife Hannah, daughters Sarah and Ethie, and son John, and three slaves lived in this area and became quite well known for the hospitality they showed the people who were traveling along the trails along the Ekegeni and 
Crawfords became known for if you're it's near sundown, they would offer the travelers a room for the night, feed them supper, and then feed them breakfast uh, to send them on the way the next day. And this include Native American travelers as well. So, so if you stopped history right then, Colonel Crawford would should be an American hero yeah. for everything that he. I mean, he sounds like he was step step. Step for step, step with George Washington. George Washington in in helping. So, so then obviously you know, and the listeners beyond Crawford County, which were named after, right, right, right. You know, so where we're coming from is Crawford County, um, in Ohio, and there's Crawford County in Pennsylvania. There's several Crawford counties yeah. throughout the country, and so those are probably named after. Him as well, well or, or well, I know for a fact this Crawford County yeah, is. Uh, yeah. So so now let's take the next step in the story and how how he gets back into the military because he was retired. Well, he was happily retired. I mean, uh, but unfortunately, the events of history happen at the most inopportune times uh, because of Indian raids on the frontier of the county of Pennsylvania and the Ohio wilderness. In the 1781, uh, the Shawnee, which their actual name was the Shawnazi, the Shawnazi had been taking scalps of hundreds of American men, women, and children along the frontier. And it was very, very bloody to the point that Washington, in command of the American troops on the eastern front of the, of the Revolutionary War, had to send an army into the Ohio wilderness to put down an Indian war that was a result of a group of Christian Indians being massacred by American militia in March of 1782 in the village of Janaden Hunton, which is along the Tuscarawas River. Were those Moravians? Moravians, yeah. Uh, and along the Tuscarawas River, what is now known as Janaden Hunton, or Ganaden Hunton, Ohio. Um, these Moravians were harvesting corn in their fields when a group of American militia led by Colonel David Williamson out of Fort Pitt came into the village, saw the Indians harvesting corn. Uh, they searched the log cabins of this Indian village and found in a corner of one of the cabins a bloody blue dress, obviously of a white woman, that could be easily identified by one of Williamson's soldiers who they had actually rescued uh, from being captured from the same Shawnee. And John Carpenter was his name, and he identified that dress as being the dress he saw the Shawnees take from the body of a dead American woman that he had witnessed them killing and scalping and then taking the bloody blue dress off her body prior to the Shawnees seeing Carpenter and capturing him. So they took him away as a prisoner, but he would eventually escape until rescued by Williamson's command. And he would tell these soldiers that the Indians that he saw killed Mrs. Robert Wallace and her six-month-old daughter and took away her two sons as prisoners and then captured him, spoke German. And there was only one group of German-speaking Indians in the entire colonies, and they were the Moravian Christians along the Tuscarawas River in the Ohio frontier. So Williamson's men knew at that moment that they now know who they had to go and attack in order to end the raids on the frontier. There had been rumors since the onset of the Revolutionary War that these Christians who adapted a white man's religion 
gave up their Indian culture, started to live, work, eat, dress like Europeans, uh, were actively involved in the war. The British believed that the Christian Indians were spies for the Americans. The American settlers believed that the Christians were spies for the British. And the other native tribes in the Eastern Woodland cultures could not understand how an self-respecting Native American would give up their Indian culture in order to live like a white man. So none of the people involved in the actual bloodshed of the war believed the Moravians were innocent in this war. They were, and that would eventually be proven. Uh, so when Carpenter, after being rescued by Williamson's men, said, well, the Indians that I saw killed this white woman and her baby spoke German, the soldiers knew exactly where they had to go. And this was uh, late February, early March of 1782. Uh, Williamson's men had been chasing down these Shawnees for weeks because those are the Indians that actually had committed the atrocity, uh, committed the attack on the Wallace farm. Um, but the, one of the little known stories of this moment is prior to Williamson's army showing up in the village of Janine Hunton on the morning of March 7, 1782, a group of Shawnee had gone through the village of Janine Hutton two hours previously. These Shawnees had Williamson's army chasing them, and the Shawnees came into the village of Janine Hutton hungry. They saw the Christian Indians harvesting corn. Now, the Shawnazi, or the Shawnee, had the most ruthless reputation of warriors in the Ohio frontier. And because these are Christian Indians, I can imagine them saying, oh, my God, they're Shawanazi. Get them whatever they want so they can get out of here. So the, the Christians gave the Shawnees the corn. In return, the Shawnees gave the Christians a bloody blue dress. And they threw it in one of the log cabins there at Janine Hutton, which within two hours would be searched and discovered by Williamson's army. So you put one one together. It's all circumstantial evidence, Judge. But it was enough <laughs> to convict did these the glove, innocent. Did the glove fit? Yeah. That's all. Innocent men, women, and children. There are about a hundred Christians at Janine Hutton. Most of them are women and children. Death by fashion. Yeah, yeah. Death by fashion. <laughs> and uh, death by fashion. Um, you know, it just. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and on March eighth, while these Christians are going to be placed in two separate buildings, one would be the Cooper's cabin which is one of the Christian Indians that lived there, was a cooper by trade who had been trained in that craft. And they also put a large group in what would be the building that served as both church and school. And then as these Christians were singing in German the praises of the Psalms, Williamson's men, using a large wooden cooper's mallet, smashed the skulls of every one of those Christians. Uh, there were initially three survivors, and as history's taught me, there was always survivors of the massacre. And the three boys that survived the initial murders was Timoth were Timothy, Thomas, and Tobias. Once the murders were accomplished, Williamson's men set all the cabins in that village on fire. And once Timothy smelled the smoke and saw the fire of the cabin burning down around him, he dug himself up from underneath the dead bodies that had fallen upon him, ran out the front door, and was shot and killed by one of Williamson's men. So they were even given Christian names. Right. Timothy, Thomas, yeah. Tobias. They, once they adopted the Christian faith, they were given names primarily from the Bible of uh, their membership. Thomas and Tobias waited till the cabin was almost burnt to the ground when they ran out the back door. 
to go to the other three villages of Schoenbrunn, Goshen, and New Salem, where these Christian Indians were there in their villages harvesting corn uh, to warn them of what Williamson's men had just done at Janine Hutton, because that's where Williamson's men were heading toward those three villages. And then once the Thomas and Bai successfully rescued the other groups, they returned safely back to Upper Sandusky. Upper Sandusky, yeah. These Christians lived along the Tuscarora until fall 1781, when the Wyandotte of what would now be Upper Sandusky, Ohio, along the Sandusky River, because of the rumors on the frontier being so prevalent that the Christians were spies for the Americans, the Wyandots ordered that every Christian Indian along the Tuscarora be brought back, brought back to the Wyandotte homeland of what is now Upper Sandusky, Ohio, for the winter of 1781 into 1782. That way the Wyandots could keep their eyes on these Christians and their three Moravian missionaries. So how far is it from Ganadin Hutton to Upper Sandusky? It had been about a four days walk. And they've just followed the Tuscarora River into the Malabar, the Mohican area of Richland County, catch the Sandusky River at its origins there in Leesville, Ohio, outside of Crestline, and follow that all the way over to Wyandotte. So for our listeners out there, this is Ohio, 1700s. This is before Ohio even became a state. Right, we're wilderness. There's no roads, highways, and things like that. So these kids... Just Indian trails. These kids would have, to get to the next village, they would have had to traverse... These Indian trails, which became the most infuriating two-lane, wavy, <laughs> curvy, hilly roads yep. through the world, yep. <laughs> through the horse. And okay. Route 30 being okay. one of them. Oh, I live I in Salem. I drive in Boston. Our I roads know. are based not even on Indian trails, right? Oh, First Nations, the, whatever, but on actual cow paths. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, and if yeah. You yeah. yeah, the streets in Boston is the worst place in the yeah, world. Yeah, the streets in Boston are terrible. That's why all the cabs and buses have dents on them. <laughs> I was in Boston one time and I'm in this cab and we're trying to tell this cab where we want to go. And there's like, literally we're in the third lane over <laughs> and we're like, no, you had to be in that turn lane. He just blows up. He literally, when the light turns, he cuts in front of two left uh-huh. turning turn lanes, just cuts everybody <laughs> off. And I literally am thinking, is this how people drive here? And he's like, well, yeah. Well, yeah was I, and the guy, yeah. I go, and yeah, so I ask him, he yeah. goes, well, what else was I supposed yeah. to do? <laughs> I'm like, well, can't you go around the block? I guess for my cab fare, Uh -uh. he did the right thing. So, so take us back. I mean, it's just how we roll. It's this. this You adapt or you don't survive. (laughs) You have to drive drive offensively. We're actually not that bad. Like, I grew up in upstate New York, and in upstate New York, and even in, in, especially in the city, they drive aggressively. Here, it's not so much aggressive as just, we drive like there's nobody else on the road at all. Oh, Columbus. Yeah. We're, like, we're, we're, just, we're just alone on the road. And so, yeah, we can cut across several lanes of traffic. It's no big deal. Right. There's just nobody here, right? And you just learn to, you know, look, look both ways before you do anything at all. Yeah. So these kids, these three kids, they're, they've got to get from Ganadin Hood. There's only two. There's Thomas and Tobias survived the initial massacre of Janine Hutton. The distance uh, from Janine Hutton to Schoenbrunn to Goshen to New Salem is just a matter of 10 mile okay. radius because they're all built along the Tuscarora River. Gotcha. And so they went to get the natives harvesting the corn in the other villages' fields before they returned to Upper Sandusky where they'd been taken. 
in October 1781 by the Wyandotte. But like in all eastern woodland cultures during the winter months here in Ohio, which would be no different than New England, uh, it wasn't unusual to have the Native American villages run low on food just for their own members. And now you have about 800 additional mouths to feed in Upper Sandusky because of the Christian Indians being there and their three missionaries, David Zeisberger, Frederick Post, and John Heckewater. Zeisberger, realizing the circumstances surrounding the fact they're running out of food in Upper Sandusky, approaches the Wyandotte chiefs and asks, if you allow my people to return to their villages, we left many ears of corn in our fields unharvested prior to you ordering us to come here to your homeland. And the Wyandots agreed to allow about 300 natives to return to the villages to get the corn. The missionaries themselves, being white men, were not allowed to go with them because if the Indians didn't come back with the corn, there'd be three dead and scalped Moravian missionaries. Um, so the Moravians did have corn that they did bring back to Upper Sandusky for the duration of 1782. But it also leads to the fact that there would have been enough food in Upper Sandusky for the winter. The Moravians would have never had to go to their villages along the Tuscaroras when those Shawnees show up with the bloody blue dress. And Williamson shows up to search the cabins at Janine Hutton where they find the dress. The village would be abandoned. So if there's no massacre of the Christians, the Colonel Crawford story never happens. Because once those Christian Indians are murdered, by Williamson's army. The Indians in the frontier now know that these Christian Indians were, were not spies. They were true to their word. They were neutral. So the Shawanazi, the Lenape or Delaware, the Wyandotte, uh, some uh, Mingo, uh, some Seneca, as well as British Rangers from Fort Detroit, all form an army to attack the Americans living in the Ohio frontier. And it was a bloody reprisal against what had happened to the Christians. It got very bloody that Washington had to send an army into the frontier, but he needed a commander that A, he trusted, that he knew had experienced against Native Americans. So he wrote a letter to Washington, to Crawford living at his farm along the Yuckagani in Pennsylvania. And I've read a copy of this letter that's still in the archives of the Crawford family, descendants. It's a plead. He's begging his friend to come out of retirement. Uh, and initially, Crawford says, no, I enjoy retirement. But their friendship goes back so many years, and I've had the honor, and I consider it an honor and privilege of getting to know some descendants of both Washington and Crawford. And both families would tell you that Crawford's closest friend was Washington, and Washington's closest friend was Crawford. So Crawford owed a lot to his friendship, and he agreed to come out of retirement to lead an army from Fort Pitt of 500 men on horseback, leaving Fort Pitt on May 25th, 1782. Their destination was Wyandotte County. Uh, and it was a small village that here locally in Crawford County, it's a small village of Wyandotte, which is, I can't think of anything in, in, in and around the Boston area that would be this small, but it was a large Indian camp Back in 1782, that's where... It's the population of that one Dunkin' Donuts that you get onto the Cape. <laughs> <laughs> that's where that's where John Slover, the scout of the army, had told Crawford, that's where the Indians are that we must attack and destroy, who are on the warpath in the Ohio frontier. Uh, 
Colonel Crawford's second in command was Colonel David Williamson, the man responsible for the Moravian oh, Massacre. Oh, my. And they travel from May 25th. They get to June 2nd in and around Crestline, the Leesville area. Uh, they continue west. Uh, they had left Fort Pitt, and it's been almost a week and a half, and they had not seen any evidence of Indians. And by June 3rd, Crawford's army has little concern. We're in the heart of Indian territory of Frontier, Ohio. We've not even seen evidence of a single warrior. The men were scared. And Crawford said, if we don't make contact in the next day or two, we'll turn around and go back to Fort Pitt. Well, on the morning of June 5th, uh, Crawford's army is met in ambush west of Upper Sandusky, where State Highway uh, 23 meets with State Highway, I think it's 57, outside of Upper. And there's a large ravine there where the, about 150 warriors ambushed Crawford's army of 520 men. Crawford's men will retreat to a nearby island, which is a high ground surrounded by swamp, and then they'll define that, defend that ground for the de- duration of June 5th, and it's believed, based upon the eyewitness account of the men who survived, survived this battle, that Crawford's army wins the day, but they're forced to stay there for the night, and during the night of June 5th into June 6th, these primarily Wyandotte warriors are now being reinforced by nearly 800 Lenape, Delaware, uh, several hundred Shawanazi, Shawnee, plus 250 British light infantry or rangers from Fort Detroit. So when Crawford's army wakes up on the morning of June 6th, they find themselves completely surrounded on the island. It was a indefensible position. So Crawford gave I, I an mean, order. If, if you're going to retreat... Retreating to an island may not be the best tactical decision. <laughs> no, way it too is, it, This isn't even like an like where we're talking. This isn't even like an island out in any water. No. This is just like an surrounded island by swamp in it's the like middle of a field. Yeah, like yeah. Middle of field. Yeah. It's almost like a, a green on a golf course that you're yeah. defending against yeah. Yeah. Uh, these this overwhelming uh, enemy. Crawford gives the general order of a mass retreat. Uh, his men go off in every direction, to the northeast, to the southeast, to the east. Uh, Crawford's the last to leave the island because he's looking for his son. His son, John, as well as his nephew and son-in-law, are all members of his army. John has already escaped, and he would return safely home. So Crawford will leave Battle Island with Dr. Knight, the surgeon of the army, and 10 other soldiers, and they'll go due east from Battle Island, which would be west of Upper Sandusky, Ohio, and by maintaining that due east direction, they end up literally at a location in the small village of Leesville, Ohio, where on June 7th, Crawford will be captured by the Lenape or Delawares. Um, and when I walked that route 40 years ago to see whether the eyewitness account of Dr. John Knight's uh, journal was accurate, I maintained a due easterly direction without being shot from any local farmer by walking along their <laughs> property uh, from Wyandotte to Crawford County. And it took me within yards of that monument in Lower Leesville Road that says near this spot on June 7, 1782, Crawford was captured by the Lenapes. Dr. Knight writes specifically that a mile down river on the south side of the bank. Now, the origins of the Sandusky River is in Leesville at Lowville Park. Oh. So if you go a mile down river from Allen's Run, that will take you 
on the, and you're on the south side of the bank. You're standing there looking at the monument there on Lower Louisville Road. Wow. Now, if you ever go to Low Volk, there's a cool, there's a where you stand and you can see where the, the, the two rivers can right. converge together as one. It's and cool. the Indian chief of the Lenape that captured Crawford was Crawford's closest Native American friend. His name was Wignew. He was a Lenape chief. He had eaten meals with the Crawford family on many different occasions at their home along the Yuckagani River. And Dr. Knight had a flintlock pistol, and he was aiming to shoot Wiganoon. And once Crawford recognized his friend Wiganoon, he grabbed Dr. Knight's arm, pulled it down as it discharged, because he said, that's my friend Wiganoon. So Crawford extended his arm to shake the hand of Wiganoon. Wiganoon grabbed him by the arm and pulled him toward himself. And the other... Dr. Knight was also taken prisoner. The other 10 soldiers with them were put to the tomahawk and scalped. And from that point, they'd be taken, Dr. Knight and Crawford would have their faces painted black with charcoal, which is an Eastern Woodlands cultural tradition to indicate death. Uh, they were taken back to Wyandotte County uh, between to a small location between what is now the present-day city of Upper Sandusky, Ohio, and Cary, Ohio, off of State Highway 199, where in along the Tamachi, the Tamachi River Valley, uh, on June 11th, Colonel William Crawford will be tortured and burned at the stake. The Indians knew Williamson was part of Crawford's army. The Native Americans wanted to capture uh, <laughs> Williamson. The Indians knew Crawford had nothing to do with the murder of the Christians. Once they realized Williamson has escaped with his life, it is decided that Crawford must take his place. So starting about 4 o'clock in the afternoon on June 11th, as witnessed by Dr. John Knight, who would later escape to write an eyewitness account of this story, uh, the Native Americans would strip Crawford naked, hands tied behind his back, and forced to run the gauntlet, which in the Eastern Woodland culture was a traditional torture inflicted upon prisoners of war. But it was carried out by women and children of the tribe, not the warriors. So Crawford was forced to run between two rows of Indian women and children who were armed with clubs, hatchets, spears, sticks, anything they could use to inflict great physical pain upon Colonel Crawford. Uh, Crawford uh, ran the gauntlet several times. He survived several times. Boy, he was very badly beaten. After successfully surviving the gauntlet, he dropped to his knees. An Indian warrior came out, cut off his earlobes. They forced him to stand. Warriors loaded their flintlock pistols and rifles with gunpowder, not bullets, just powder, put the uh, barrel end of their weapons against his naked body, pulled the trigger, shooting the gunpowder into his naked body. And then Indian children with burning sticks put those burning sticks into the powder wounds to excite, to ignite the, uh, the powder. Oh, um, most, Jesus Christ! <laughs> most of the wounds yeah, we need to make your Salem witch <laughs> trial self look really God. tame. <laughs> Most I mean, in- all we did hey. was hang people and say <laughs> Yeah, the Puritans had no idea what real torture was <laughs> yeah. all about. No! Oh my God! It gets worse. Okay. It, gets worse. Oh, it gets much worse. It gets worse. Oh boy! Oh boy! Oh boy! Please, by all means. Most most of the wounds, powder wounds, were in the groinal area because oh, we wanted to make sure it was a slow, painful, agonizing death. 
inflicted upon Crawford for the death of the Christians. So they burned his, basically burned his generals yeah. off. Yeah. Then he dropped to his knees again. An Indian war came out and scalped him. And Dr. Knight writes in his journal, an Indian squaw will gather some hot coals upon a board, walk over to where Crawford was kneeling and put the hot coals on his head where the scalp once was located. And at that point, he passed out. Upon awakening, about 20 <laughs> minutes later. Out, like watching. Jesus. Yeah, so Dr. Knight, nothing ha- is. They're not oh, doing anything. Oh, they're going to. Oh, okay. The Shawnees had purchased Dr. Knight upon their arrival there along the Tamachi from the Lenapes. And the Shawnees or the Shawnazi plan to take him down to southern Ohio to do to him what he's now witnessing the Lenapes do to Crawford. So that, as you see, the Shawnees had a wicked it reminds me of the time when my brother and I were kids and we got in a bunch of trouble. My dad gets the belt out and I'm watching my dad whip my brother. I mean, he's holding him up in the air by yeah. one arm, and he's just laying him out with that belt. And I'm sitting there watching, going, "I know him next." Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I know him next. So that's the the, the doctor sitting there watching this, yeah. knowing yeah. this is what this is what my fate's going to be. So right. go ahead and tell us what happens next. And uh, when Crawford awakens about 20 minutes later, his hands are still by tied behind his back, but the rope there's a rope attached to a stake that's been driven into the ground about 15 feet from the south bank the Tamachi Creek. Uh, and then Crawford actually has the ability to walk around the stake freely, but because he was so badly beaten with a severe loss of blood, he'd eventually weaken and drop to the ground and die. And this is about probably 6.30 or 7 o'clock that evening on June 11th. And then coals are put over his body and he's burned literally to ash. Uh, in the Eastern Woodland cultures, the Native Americans uh, believe that if you're a warrior and you die in sunlight, your spirit after death will find the way to heaven by guidance of the sunlight. If, you're, if you die at night, you are doomed to roam earth for eternity. Out of respect for Crawford, who Dr. Knight writes in his journal, Crawford at no time during the torture screams or hollers out in pain. In honor of his bravery and courage, they wanted Crawford dead by sundown, before sundown. That way they had allowed him, grant him the privilege of having his spirit go to heaven. Now, Wiganoon, who had captured Crawford, realized what was in store for his friend if the Indians did not capture Williamson. Wiganoon was not present for the torture or the burning. He could not handle it emotionally. Three officers of the British Army witnessed the torture and death of Crawford. Now, Crawford, being a former colonel in the Continental Army, is perceived by the British Army as a professional officer. And during the Revolutionary War, when American soldiers captured British officers and vice versa, those officers were granted privilege of protection by their captors to guarantee their safety until officer exchange at the end of the war. Crawford pleaded his case with those British officers from Fort Detroit. Now, the British were here only as invitees by the Native Americans. They were observers. They could not actually participate or intervene on Crawford's behalf. All Dr. Knight writes in his journal is that those three British officers got ill to their stomach and started to vomit based upon what they were seeing inflicted upon Crawford. Crawford also turned to Simon Gurdy, the great uh, 
loyalist to the British cause, who was himself an American colonial, uh, he pleaded with Gertie to speak on his behalf to save his life. Now, Gertie and Crawford were acquaintances, and the Gertie brothers were very notorious for taking scalps of American men, women, and children during this war. Gertie, on the, Simon, on the other hand, did more to save lives of prisoners of war than ever take lives. And he became so obnoxious to the Indians that one of the war chieftains said to Simon Gertie, unless you're willing to take his place, it'd be best you shut up. <laughs> and then Crawford died on um, June 11, 1782, along the banks of the Tamachi. How old was Crawford? 50 years old. Um, so he didn't even get to, so how long had he been retired when he got? He retired in 1779. So he'd been retired three years. Three years. Now, upon hearing the news of how his friend died at the hand of the Native Americans, the Crawford descendants also have the original letter in their library, but they also allowed me the opportunity to read the letter that he sent Mrs. Crawford. First of all, you can put yourself in Washington's position. He's probably crying while he's writing this letter. It's, it's guilt-ridden because it's at his prodding that his friend came out of retirement to lead this army that resulted because in Because Crawford his, originally said, no, I'm very right. happy with retirement. And Washington, upset, and in the letter, he apologized to Mrs. Crawford. I'm sorry I forced your husband to make this decision on my behalf based upon our friendship. But... It's already too late. Um, so, so does this not, elicit a response from from Washington militarily? Um, there was still bloodshed in the frontier, but it was not as bloody as it was prior to Crawford's army coming into the Ohio frontier because the Indians had enacted revenge for the death of the Christians. Uh, the Christians stayed in Upper Sandusky to the duration of the war. And... Uh, you know, that throughout war, innocent people die. That's a fact of life of war. The Native Americans, the Christian Moravians were at the right place at the wrong time. But if there'd have been enough food in Upper Sandusky, there'd have been no reason for them to go to their villages to harvest the corn. When the Shawnees show up, when Williamson shows up, I mean, that's history. That's one of the fascinating aspects of the study of history. What if the two most important words in the study of history? What if? So now I, now I ask you when we talked about this, because, you know, our podcast is, is wants to look at the supernatural mm -hmm. aspect of this. And you said, because I couldn't, I found it hard to believe that there was nothing, um, you know, no, no reports of ghosts or spiritual stuff around where Colonel Crawford was, was killed. But you said that there were some reports. Yeah. From in Jermaine Hutton, I've only been there once to do a presentation with our local reenactment group, the Colonel Crawford Company, who interprets and narrates the story of the Crawford campaign in 1782. And we were there five years ago. And a very close, a very good member of our group is very sensitive to the supernatural. Uh, as I shared with you earlier, the Moravian Indians that were murdered there had their skulls crushed. While she was there with our group during that two-day event, her head, she had a horrible headache. It was a, a headache that made her physically ill. And we were within 10 yards of the Cooper's cabin where some of those innocents were murdered. 
Once she got in her car to return home, once she got out of the village of Janae Naughton, that migraine headache disappeared. And it's because we camped there close to that cabin. And to me as a student of history and a Revolutionary War reenactor and a Colonel Crawford reenactor, uh, made it more real visually seeing the locations that have been rebuilt in which these innocents were killed. Now, we do a big event at Schoenbrunn, which is a state park outside of New Philadelphia, Ohio, along the Tuscarawas River, every October. It's an 18th century trade fair. Now, the director of that event is Jack Johnson from Mansfield, Ohio, and he's been in charge of this event for 15 years. Every year we're there in the mid-weekend of October. People are encamped there in what used to be the cabins of the original descendants that have been rebuilt. Inhabitants originally built on the foundations of the original uh, cabins. They will hear people speaking German at night. There's one cabin, especially, where there's a loft and there's a wood ladder going up to that loft. And there are people who stay in that cabin who have talked to Jack Johnson before they left uh, that they said during the night were inside around the fire. And we see a specter climb down this ladder and walk out the door. And people have been there prior to the event, uh, two or three days ahead of the event starting on, on Saturday, within the grounds of Schoenbrunn Village. They will see specters walking the ground. And most of the time, they're speaking German. The you other can actually people, hear them talking. Yes. And you're inside a cabin, you're outside your tent, and you hear in German speaking, being spoken, you look outside your tent or cabin, no one. Now, now, now Kate, I, listening to your podcast, and as you hear this, uh, you know, these paranormal claims, I know that uh, you yourself have had some paranormal experiences, but you're not a believer. So I, so I, if you could interject, and this is totally off the base, the, the whole Colonel Crawford thing, but it goes into the paranormal aspect of, you know, um, what do you think of hearing that and, and then your own experiences? And because I still can't believe you're not a believer. <laughs> I mean, for one, I think you I think you experience what you expect to experience. And it's easy to, you know, hear noises in the night that travel funny and it ends up that they're just far enough away that you can't hear them and you know that people used to speak German in the area and so poof, you hear German. You know, like that, like we, we assign meaning to things that may not have meaning. We, we, we get a headache because we're stressed out over a reenactment and we end up assigning meaning to it. Like, that's possible. On the other hand, I've experienced things in my own home and I've stayed in the Lizzie Borden house. I actually have a video. Oh, jeez. Yeah, I, I, I'll have to show it to you sometime. Like, there is, there's a video of when a girlfriend of mine and I went down and spent the weekend in the Lizzie Borden house, and we asked our the people in the room next over, the woman in the room next to us, to take our photo, and she did, but it ended up coming out as a video, which I didn't even know my phone could do. This is several years ago, and. And it's a weird, like it slows down and then speeds up in a strange way. And there's a fourth woman in the room who was not there when we had the, the picture taken. I am absolutely positive. Right? So, like, 
I'm not a believer in the sense that, like, I don't necessarily believe that ghosts appear humanish. Do you know, like, I believe in like energies and that kind of thing. Like, I know right. we, okay. I've had times where I've, I've just known that something is wrong with a friend, and I'll get in touch, and it turns out, yeah, something's not good, whatever. But at the same time, I've had things happen that I cannot explain. So you're more of a believer in like an extrasensory perception versus an actual um, ghostly figures, the people who have died or coming back, reliving experiences and things like that. I think we we experience we walk through life with with an energy to us, and just because we die doesn't mean that energy goes away necessarily. Right. So basic science energy can neither be created or nor destroyed. destroyed. It just takes different forms. So you know the uh, I remember reading this somewhere where he said, well, you know, if I took a car and I disassembled it to all of its different parts, and um, and I brought in the best mechanics and they put it back together. I put, turn the key on, it runs, it drives. But you take a human body and you dismember it and you get the best surgeon in the world, you put it back together, guess what? It doesn't work. Something's missing. You, well, it's guess that, what? that you energy in source. Yeah. <laughs> well, not in my county. I mean, <laughs> well, I mean, Jerry's got a few of those bodies in his trunk. But we're not going to talk about it today. Um, Whatever. <laughs> especially after the evil spirits mash liquor situation, which we probably get sued for. But, but yeah, so so energy, you know, the, the energy of a human being dies, and that energy is still here, possibly. That's my – like, so – like in my home, there is a my my house is almost a hundred years old in in Salem, and so it's Salem, whatever, like weird. And I had a I still have a recurring what I believed was just a dream, not a nightmare. Um, I have chronic insomnia, and so I believed that I would be lying in bed, my feet face the door, which is bad feng shui. I understand, but. I would, I, my feet face the door, and which means like if you come up the stairs to the second floor of my home, you would effectively walk directly into my bedroom. Like that's how the stairs are oriented. And I had this recurring sort of vision of a woman coming up the stairs, a long dress, sort of I'm, hard to see, but that she would come up and she would sort of, um, what's the word, like m- methodically check each of the bedrooms. Like she would walk in, come back out to each one, and then disappear and i thought what a strange dream you know like it, it was never malevolent it was never scary it was just a thing and i thought well i'm just i, I have a weird dream whatever and then uh, about a year ago almost i was out with my daughter and her girlfriend and i got talking somehow this came up and my daughter said yeah i have a recurring dream that someone is coming in my bedroom at night and they're just like sort of checking on me and then they go away and it, it feels female but I've never seen her. I just, because it's complicated, but my daughter's, okay, my daughter sleeps in her closet. <laughs> it's, it's because of the shape of the closet is exactly the size of a twin mattress. And so that's where she sleeps. It's not a punishment, honest. And so she, well, I don't know. Are you, you, know, you, you know, it's, it's odd because Jerry's been in the closet for years. And uh, uh, well, you know, oh, oh, well, this is it. My, I mean, my daughter is gay, so it's fine. But so, so she has this, there you this go. vision of a woman coming in her room, and my, her her girlfriend asked, sort of offhandedly, like, "What's her name?" And my daughter and I both said at the same time, "Well, it's Charlotte." 
and we don't know anybody named Charlotte. We have, there's no reason we would have said such a thing. Like out of, out of all of the names we could have chosen, so I don't have an explanation for that. And, and I've heard you tell that same story at least three times on podcasts now, and I still can't believe that you're yeah, not, so not a bully. <laughs> so if this were a crim- if this were a criminal case, you know, obviously you wouldn't believe something beyond reasonable doubt. But in civil cases where you just have a preponderance of the evidence, preponderance is more likely than not. So given your experience yeah. with this Charlotte situation, is it but more likely that, than not that there's something supernatural <laughs> going on here? Or is it just pure coincidence? I don't think so because there's no there's no known – like I don't have any known history of people dying in my home. And there's no sense of malevolence or angst around this. And I can't come up with like – it could very well be a shared dream and just complete coincidence that we picked the same name. Well, I would convict. Well, so as we wrap up these these two episodes that we've done, um, the first thing I'd like to think is if is that if that Colonel Crawford's energy has gone on to a better place, if if for what that man did for the country and suffered. Uh, maybe the, the Native Americans did him right by letting allowing his energy to pass on and into a much better place. And um, I, I Christian think, version of Bahala. Exactly. And and I and I think Kate, we kind of talked about this, you know, you mentioned it about how history repeats itself, and it's because nobody's very smart. And we've heard two cases here with the Salem, the events of the Salem witch trial, and just the history of Colonel Crawford and what uh, the circumstances behind his death and and how we hope that somehow by us getting this history out and and you know hopefully nobody's going to do well, but the, the more they the did story is the, the more of the story is mass hysteria leads to yep. unwarranted persecution of people and we see that today even in, in you know I think Twitter has turned into the new Salem witch trials where, where someone <laughs> is, is yeah. you know oh someone God, is is is, is falsely accused of something and then you know the Twitter mob literally Colonel Crawford you. Yeah, I mean they, exactly. curve, they it doesn't even Crawford matter if they're falsely reputation. or correctly accused. Right. No, it, just it doesn't matters matter. that there's an accusation and Twitter Twitter loses its collective mind. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And so if, uh, you know obviously those people are not necessarily students of history. Or maybe that's just part of our human nature, is that part of human nature is that we as a species love to persecute people. Yeah, yeah and, I, and I think it's it's important, you know, for that area of where you're at, Kate, to to remember the history, even though you got you have to put up with the, uh, you know, the inaccuracies. Yeah, and it's important for us here to know why Colonel Crawford High School exists other than just to have really good-looking girls graduate. from. That's why I taught for 35 <laughs> years, too, Kate. <laughs> the Colonel Crawford School system. That was the one thing. That, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, well, on that note, we thank you, Kate. We know you got to get going, and uh, it was a pleasure having you, having you on for a couple episodes here. So... Uh, yeah, hopefully. thank you for absolutely destroying my psyche and providing me with nightmares with that story. That was amazing. <laughs> well, we're glad we could help out. <laughs> so, uh, so have a great day, and we will uh, we'll be in touch. Thank you, guys. Thank, thank you, Kate. Thanks, ladies and gentlemen. A final word. Please visit us on our Facebook page, 
which is facebook.com forward slash from the shadows podcast and on our Instagram page at instagram.com forward slash from the shadows podcast. You can visit our webpage at from the shadows podcast dot go daddy sites dot com or contribute to our Facebook discussion page called after the shadows and tweet us on our Twitter feed at twitter.com forward slash podcast underscore from thank you for joining us and we look forward to hearing from you all until next time Never shy away from the darkness or what may be lurking in the shadows. We are out. <laughs>Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.